And we say, Hello. Praise the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Makes you want to sing it. We might have to sing that after a while, after we're done. That's our theme verse of the day. Actually, it's four verses. Uh, what is maybe the greatest chapter in all of the Bible? What do you think it is? Uh, Romans 8? Well, I might be kind of foolish in saying that because we know it's hard to say that any particular chapter is the greatest, but I will tell you that Romans 8 is a glowing, brilliant, spectacular, sparkling diamond set in a golden ring. And it is shining. It's one of the brightest gems of all, this Romans 8. Some have said that in the whole of Scripture, the brightest and uh, most lustrous and flashing stone or collection of stones in this epistle of uh, Romans is this chapter. It's the brightest gem in, in the whole cluster. Without a doubt, it is an outstanding chapter. We couldn't be in a better place. But I know that you guys have heard that many times in different chapters that I have said that. In certain verses, this is the greatest. Wherever we're at, wherever I've been studying, that is a great place to be. And I will tell you, this chapter just screams with the best news imaginable. I'm telling you, it is something that you can't help but rejoice in. A uh, great theme in this chapter is the security of the believer. Uh, if you are in Christ, you have final perseverance all the way. It's absolute certainty, ultimate, final, complete salvation of the Christian. And uh, that is an amazing thing to think about. Nothing can stop the power of the security of the believer as we see here in Romans 8. And actually, the security of the believer just doesn't start in chapter 8. It really is found in chapter 5 where it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, that's becoming a believer with what God has done, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. That's going all the way to not only the glory of God, but also the glory that we will be given. That's how far this takes us. So it takes us from the very day that we are saved and actually go all the way back to the foundations of the earth. You go back to God's thing, but... When we became justified, we then not only are sanctified, but as far as God is concerned, we are glorified. We will be glorified. This is an absolute certainty of the ultimate glorification of us. Full, entire deliverance based upon the work of God. We're justified by faith, and that's what it does for us, folks. The Holy Spirit is the main person of this chapter. You haven't seen him haven't seen him mentioned a whole lot in uh, the book of Romans, but he has mentioned what I believe to be twenty one times in this chapter. So he is a standout here. The wonderful reality of salvation is because of that work of salvation of the Holy Spirit. So he burst on the scene here in chapter 8. We'll look at a little bit of that today. And we will see that uh, he is of great magnitude in this whole chapter. What a wonderful, great chapter. Full of beautiful doctrine. It's also about life in the Spirit that we live. So it's the Holy Spirit's chapter, as well all of it is, isn't it? The whole Bible is because He's the one that inspired it. Uh, he is responsible for our salvation, folks, as well as the whole Trinity is. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read our text dates, first four verses. And if you don't mind, let's stand. And if you do mind, stand anyway. Just a kidding. <laughs> Uh, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for what a precious text that we have today. We are privileged. We honor You, Lord, because of the opportunity to read Your Word and to get some understanding that we are depending on the Spirit to guide us into the precious truths here that we wouldn't miss the things that we need to hear, the things we need to know. And Lord, as many times as maybe we've read this chapter, read this text, we know there are plenty of things there that we have not ever really understood. And may it just leap off the page today as the power of the Holy Spirit speaks to us Your very Word, the Word of truth. It's about You. It's about us. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Wow, what a text. I feel not adequate enough to even approach this, and yet we get the privilege of going right into it. I've looked at it all week, and I go, there must be something there more that I need to get, so I keep reading it. I keep reading and studying and thinking on it, reading from other great men of God, and uh, you know what? It just goes deep and deeper and deeper. fullness of it is here. Verse 1 is really the theme of the entire chapter. For there is therefore now no condemnation. If that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. It's saying not guilty. If you've ever uh, been in court where there was somebody that you knew and you knew that they were innocent, and after all the evidence has been presented, the judge then says, not guilty. And all of a sudden, you'll hear, there's a lot of people in there, you'll hear the roar of the people that were for that one individual that is now not guilty. No condemnation, he's not judged. He's not going to be sentenced to punishment. And so there are five key words in just this first verse that we'll start off with here. Uh, this is the theme of really the entire Word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation. Uh, we have nothing to offer God. We come with him, to Him empty-handed, knowing that our works are filthy rags if we're relying upon them. It is the work of Jesus Christ. And there's no condemnation if you've trusted in Him. This is the heart of the Gospel right here in verse 1. This is one of the most important verses for Christians to understand, to actually believe, to experience. Your very health, your very well-being of a Christian can be right as we look at this verse 1. There's no condemnation. You, you can't keep saying, oh, if I would have done this, and you go back and you go over the things that you've done that were not honoring to God, or you didn't do the things that were honoring to God, and you see it's not those things that bring you into heaven. This is the great good news. This is the gospel. It's the summary of the great argument of what justification is. And that began in chapter 1. Um, and especially uh, in chapter 3, verse 21 and 31. So there are five words that we're going to emphasize here just in this verse 1. First word is therefore. And as we always say, what is therefore, therefore... And I always use that, but that's what we need to ask. Why is that there? Well, uh, to make it safe, I'll say whatever was preceding, whatever has just been said, 
Therefore, because of this, there's no condemnation. Uh, because of what we just stated in Romans 7, for instance, uh, where it uh, said, uh, who will set me free from this, this body of this death? Uh, this the, the, the death that is caused by sin. And he says in 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's through Christ, right? And so then on the one hand, I myself, <coughs> with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And that's what we talked about in chapter 7, the last part there, and it's dealing with the battle of the Christian. He still sins. Why does he sin? And we found out that it's in the members of our body, as said in Romans 6 and in Romans 7. Paul has been mentioning that. The old man is dead. He's no longer here. He's dead. And you have come alive in Christ. You are Him. I mean, you are in Him. And you no longer are held responsible for that sin as far as your salvation is concerned. We still sin. We battle and we struggle with it. But remember, <clears throat> it's in our bodies. It's in the members of our bodies. The, uh, the eyes, the brain, the uh, hearing, the, the mouth hands, the legs, we battle against that. and But we know that it's Christ who sets us free. And by the way, all through, through 6 and 7, it says we have been set free. The new man is free. We are new creations. We are free. And so we need to remember that. Therefore, uh, look in Romans 1, 16 through 18. This is where justification is kind of mentioned right here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, the dunamis, the dynamite of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Where do you understand righteousness at? In the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for in it I see the righteousness of God. What do I see in myself? Unrighteousness, sin. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. It's not by works. We trust in God. It's His work. We trust in His righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is transferred to us and we live by faith on that. Uh, okay, well that's key, Romans 16 and 17. Then look at 18, because we were just talking about in Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation. Therefore, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And that's us, that's everybody. Everybody that's ever been born into this world, really, the wrath of God is against them because of their unrighteousness. And that's why in Romans 1.16, the power of God, the Gospel, and that's where we find righteousness. How can I take this unrighteousness in me and put righteousness in there? And the natural thinking of man is to do something good and you can't do it. And so therefore, all of the wrath of God or condemnation is on all of humankind. We're all bad. You get into Romans 3 and He definitely puts that forth. Romans 1, 2, and 3. All the way through there we see that there is condemnation in all men, all women, children, anybody who's been born. And now this is why this is such a great chapter. We've already seen it, but now it's emphasized. There is now no condemnation. And that is so key, isn't it? We read Romans 5, uh, 1, and we also see that Romans 1 through 7, the whole part of Romans in that first uh, seven chapters where we've gone through could be, therefore, there is no condemnation. Uh, because we saw in Romans 3.21, I think through the rest of the chapter there, He showed what righteousness is, and it's in Christ. It's been given to us. There He says, all of sin fallen short of the glory of God. 
but through the propitiation there of what was done. And we have the just, which is Christ. He's just. He's righteous. How can I get righteousness in me? Through the righteous one or the just one. He's not only the just one, but He is the justifier. The one who has faith in this. He belongs to Christ. And then we say, where is it boasting? And... and uh, uh, you know, we have nothing to boast about. Uh, you know, law works, no, but it's a law of faith. And uh, he finishes Romans 3.31. He says, do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we, we establish the law. And all, all we saw in Romans 6 and 7 was the law has a purpose. It's to condemn us. It's to stir up sin and to show how sinful sin is and how sinful we are. Because most people will say, well, I'm not that bad. And you watch all these murder shows, you know, and people say, well, I, don't, I haven't murdered anybody, you know, and that kind of thing. Well, they, yes, they have, because if you even think it in your heart, uh, evil on anybody, you think anything bad about somebody, you've just murdered them, we're all murderers, we're all thieves, we're all liars, we know that. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. We trust in Him. And that righteousness, now we see where it comes from. So, you know what? Um, I think it's saying, therefore, He's summing up everything that we have read. Maybe it's that. There's therefore now no condemnation. Or maybe it's where we were at in Romans 7. By the way, if you look at Romans 7, verse 6, it says, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, and not in oldness of the letter, the letter of the law. It's a Spirit now that is there We've been released from that law. Look in verse 13. Therefore, there's another therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. You see, the law shows us our sin, stirs it up. He affects my death. Because you see, the law leads us to sin because we're rebels. We rebel against the law. The law is good, it says. But it shows us really how sinful it is. And because of that, it affects my death. You have sin. What does sin lead to? Death. Through that which is good. The law is good. It kills you. You died so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Through the law, sin becomes very sinful. Now we realize how bad it really is. Before, we just kind of dusted it off and it's no big deal. Most people don't even use the word sin, and if we do, we don't really see how it is. And the law is always doing that. And so because of, you could say Romans 7, 6... Having died to that which we're bound, we serve a newness of the Spirit. We've been released from the law, it says there. So, can you see why therefore would be therefore? Therefore, there is now. Now is a key word. It's the moment of justification. It's whenever we're declared righteous. It's whenever we have the righteousness of Christ put in us. At the very moment of salvation, and not only that. Now some people would say you can go in and out of salvation. You can have it, and then you can say something bad, and you can lose it, and then you ask for forgiveness, and then you're back in. You're back in, you're back out. I'll tell you what. I would have no hope if that were the case. That is not the case because of what Christ has done. We have a glorious future in front of us, and if one didn't know beforehand, read Romans 8, and by the time you get to the end of it, you see again that it's a guaranteed salvation. If you've trusted in Christ, He's truly in you. 
It's not that you have no condemnation today, but that may tomorrow uh, maybe uh, might apply to you that you do have no salvation tomorrow. You lost it. No, it, see, it goes on through eternity. When it says now, the tense in the Greek means now and on into tomorrow, next week, all the way on till Christ comes back and all the way on through eternity. Uh, that is the idea. Now the next word is no. We're going quicker, aren't we? No. Uh, it's not little n and little o. It is capital N, if you may, and capital O, even though that's not really in the Greek, but it really is a word that is emphatic in the Greek. And it means no with exclamation point. Capital N, capital O, and then put on about ten exclamation points. That'll get our attention, won't it? There is therefore now no condemnation. It can't ever be. It goes into the glorious future because of now. Never can a Christian ever have anything to do with condemnation. That word is not associated with us anymore because we are new. The old man is dead. He got it. And he got it in Christ at the cross. So condemnation, Leon Morris defines it as a forensic term, uh, term which means not only the sentence but also the sentence that is executed, that is carried out, condemned. It's the opposite of justification. Now go back and read this. Therefore there is now no condemnation. Therefore there is now justification. Justification and condemnation are at the very ends of the spectrum. No more. We died. Condemnation has already happened. And now, what's left? Justification. And those two words are at the extreme opposite polar positions. It's an ultimate condemnation to the lake of fire. It's the ultimate justification, which is a one-time act by God. It's forever we are justified. Romans 5, verse 16, I think I might have read that just a little bit earlier. It says, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. And what's the text in Romans 5? Remember, Adam, the second Adam. First Adam being Adam, second Adam being Christ. And he says this, and we went for weeks on that, and I know it got rather tiresome, but now it's going to pay dividends because now it's going to speak louder than it's ever spoken before. Because if somebody ever asks you, what's Roman 5 about? Well, immediately think about the first and second Adam. The gift, salvation, grace. It's not like that which came through the one who sinned, that's Adam. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression. He had one law not to eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. And he did. Eve did. That was the one sin that sent everybody else into it. He's the federal representative head because he sinned all of mankind then is corrupt. So the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in what? Condemnation. Now watch this. But on the other hand, here's your opposite, the free gift, grace, salvation, arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Christ died for the many and multiply the many times the many sins each one of us does and all the believers of all time and that's a lot of sins, folks. And Christ died for every one of them, even all the way into the future. He died for, they're paid for. And it resulted in justification. Condemnation, justification. It's explained right there in verse 16, isn't it? Adam, Christ. You're either in Adam, you're in Christ, you're not in between. One or the other. If you're in Adam, you're still in your sins. You're in condemnation. So we contrast that condemnation and justification. Look at verse 18. 
5.18 So as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, Christ on the cross, there resulted justification of life to all men. Very simple, very profound. Though the depth of it there. So we get the idea of condemnation. Can we move on now? Does that make sense? Opposite of justification. There's no condemnation for you now. Never, ever again. The next two words that we're going to emphasize are those who are in Christ. Or in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. In Christ there is no condemnation. And that's a good way to put it. Put it, isn't it? In Christ, there's no condemnation, but what's the positive? There is justification in Christ. So, in Romans 5, we're in Adam. Now we're in Christ. We are in the vine. We are the branches that are in the vine. It'll always be that tree, uh, the body of Christ. We are in the body of Christ. What is His is ours. And that's, you know, and it's always going to be that way. It'll never be removed from us. We're in Him. We're part of Him. We're joined to Him. We are united to Him. We are in union, connected fully. Can you imagine if He had a piece here and there that just started falling off? The body of Christ. And if people can lose their salvation, which I say at least half the denominations believe you can lose salvation. I'm saying big time denominations believe in that because there's some kind of work you have to do. Although they wouldn't admit that. It must be. You've got to hold on to it somehow. And uh, I've talked to some people who say, well, whenever you sin... You have to pray and ask forgiveness and confess your sin. Well, it's a, we are told to confess our sins. And we are told to, uh, to go to the Lord in prayer because of that. But the thing is, it doesn't get us into a better standing into the Lord. Uh, oh, He loves us. Now He doesn't. You know, you've got the, the flower. You know, He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Boy, if it depended on me, folks. You see, that's the whole idea. It doesn't even depend upon us one half of one percent. Even though Billy Graham did kind of uh, admit that it's one percent us and ninety-nine percent God. I don't really think he really meant that. I'll give him an out on that, but uh, that's pretty bad. Not even one half of one percent. I want to give it to zero. It's all God. Uh, do we say yes? Yes, we do. We say yes to him. Why? Because He put it in us to do that. That is why. Anyway, uh, oh, Noah. Noah and the ark. Noah, after he got all the animals into the ark, was told to go into the ark. He and his family and all eight of them were in that ark. The waters of judgment then came upon the whole world. But Noah and his family were in the ark. They were saved from the judgment that was coming to them. Folks, the chapter we're in here today is so important. I want you all to hear this. This is so valuable. Please listen. This is so valuable to your, to your soul and, and walking in it. Union. He's our representative. This is the heart of Pauline theology. We are in Christ just like Noah was in the ark. We're united. Chapter 6, verse 11. Look at this. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but look at this, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the way you're alive. We're dead to sin. Consider that. He's saying it's already happened. Think on it. Think on that. Look in 1 Corinthians 12.13. Next book over. Talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the body of Christ. How diverse it is. Chapter 12, verse 13. 
For by one Spirit we were all baptized, immersed, placed into one body. One body, the union that is there. Verse 27 of the same chapter, now you are Christ's body. And individually members of it, we make up the body of Christ. He's the head. We're part of it. We're in it, aren't we? Every one of us is valuable in this body of Christ. Whether you think so or not, you're absolutely a big part to it. Our body can't miss one little part at all. It's all valuable. 1 Corinthians 15.22 Resurrection chapter it says, For as in Adam all die. Remember Romans 5? Here we are again. Another text that goes right along with that Romans 5. It's such a key doctrine, folks. As in Adam all die. So also in Christ, in Christ, all will be made alive. We are alive in Christ. We've seen that before. We have extra verses to support what we happen to be saying here in Romans 8. Just in case somebody would say, I think you're interpreting this wrong here, Dennis. Well, we go to other texts and we see that this is what the whole Bible is saying. So, uh, there's now therefore no ultimate eternal punishment to them, to those who are in union with Christ. Who are joined to Christ, in Christ. Do you guys like that? We've done one verse. Let's move to verse 2. Now, we already stated that there is no condemnation. Do you see how logical God's Word is connected from one verse to the next verse to the next verse. You ever heard of context? And that's why we have to be safe when we interpret God's Scripture. Keep the context going. So we come right out of Romans 7, now we go on to 8, and we know that why the therefore is there, because we've already seen what has been described. Now, he says, what's the first word in verse 2? The for, F-O-R. It's kind of like therefore, for, or because. And, and so point number two is the reason that we have no condemnation. What's the reason that we don't have any condemnation? He's going to give us a reason. And it's found in verse two. So he says, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. You see, the law condemned you. We've already seen that. Romans 6, Romans 7 says we are freed from it. The Spirit actually has replaced the law. You know, there's a difference between an unbelieving sinner and a Christian who sins. It's like the difference between a man transgressing the law that the state has put forth and he sins against that law. He's guilty of it. He can be condemned to that. But the difference between him and the Christian sinning is that the Christian sinning is a member of a family. He's doing something that is displeasing somebody in that family. Let's say the husband is displeasing his wife. He's sinned against her. He's done something against her. He's transgressed against her. In one case, you have a man that's committing an offense against the state. Okay, that's bad. But in the other, the Christian is like a husband who's done something and it has hurt his wife. They have a relationship. The relationship has not ended. It still continues. But it's not a legal matter. It's a relationship matter. We're still in the relationship, but now it's not legal as the law is because we are dead to that. It's now a law of personal relationship. To be the husband of the woman or the woman, uh, the wife of the husband. I would rather 
offend the law of the state rather than me hurt someone who I love so much. You see, it's because there's such love there. My breaking the law of the state is not good. Don't do that. But yet, what's even worse is because I don't really necessarily love the state. There's different degrees of love, but there's a love I have my, for my wife. A love that I would have for my children. A love that I would have for my mom and dad, right? Uh, there's, a, there's a love because there's a relationship that we have. It's been put into us. So I don't want to hurt someone I love. If I love them, why would I hurt them, right? Well, it does happen. Let's take a child. Children transgress. They haven't make an offense against their mom and dad. Us, you know, and if they're not hardened children, they've offended really uh, their parents. But you know what the children do? They know what to do and who to go to. Because there has been something in the relationship that needs to be done right. They didn't act out of love whenever they did something that they were not supposed to do or vice versa. But you see, it doesn't have anything to do with the law. It's the law of love. The royal law. Right? It's the law of liberty. That is what we're placed into. The law of liberty. The law of love. It's now i got to do this because this is what I'm told to do. Or it's like, well, what she's saying, I am going to go along with. I would disagree, but I don't want to hurt her or hurt him because I, my love goes much further than what my little rights or what I think is best. You give yourself up. That's a law of love. And now it's because you love one so much, they are more important than even yourself because you give yourself up. They are more important. You sacrifice yourself for them because you're in that relationship and you do whatever it takes. You don't want to offend them. Now, does that help? A relationship versus law. We're no longer under law, but under grace. We are under the law of God. Why would we want to do anything that would hurt Him? That would do dishonor to Him? That would displease Him? Why would we do that? We love Him. He loves us. Look at what He's done for us. Oh, that person has done far much more for me than I've done for them. So therefore, I'm thankful. We're thankful to God, right? So, are you under law or are you under a relationship with Jesus Christ? That is why we want to do what is right. Now, the next phrase. So we've seen the law of the Spirit is coming up now. We've seen the law that the old man who's dead had to follow and he didn't like it so therefore he rebelled against it and did what he wanted to do anyway because that was his nature. It's a nature to be lawless. But now with a new nature we desire to be righteous. That's because our new nature puts us into that direction. We don't always do it. But we want to, and that's what we dealt with last week. We do the things we don't want to do, and we don't do the things we should do. But we have that desire to do it, don't we? For the law of the Spirit of life, Christ Jesus, this is the work of the Holy Spirit now in the believer. This is His work. This is the opposite of being under the law, because before it was you that had to follow the law. Now it's the Spirit who woos you and tells you, no, no, no! <laughs> that way you No. No, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. 
that's not going to be good for you. That's going to mess you up. It's good for us, the law of the Spirit. It's the opposite of being under the law. The law says, hey, you can't do that. And you say, yeah, what's this? I'll do my own thing. The law cannot bring life. Here it says here, the law of the Spirit of life. The Spirit of life sets us free. It's already done that. It's a reference to the working of the Holy Spirit. He came in, regenerated us, and then keeps on working in us. It's the grace of God in Christ that sets me free from the law of sin and death. Remember, the law really stirs up sin in us and it shows how sinful we are. It doesn't save us. And what does it do? It, it uh, says that there is a penalty and sin then has led us to death. And we remain in death or in Adam until the righteousness of Christ is in us and, and the Holy Spirit comes in and sets us free. You know what? The life of Christ passes into us through the Holy Spirit. The life of Christ. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus the two worked together, didn't they? Through the Spirit. Uh, you know, this is now, it's, it's now a natural law that operates in the heart of every believer. Every believer desires, as they're in Christ, to do things that bring honor to Him. The Holy Spirit is there to continue the work of liberation. We've already been set free. We need to realize how free we are not to sin and to honor Christ because of Him that's in us. It's not because, oh, I have to do this thing. No, it's because, oh, I love to do this. How many of you here love to get into God's Word and to get into His truth and say, I want to hear from God today. I need it badly. That's because He put that in you to do it. Show me a Christian who doesn't love the Word of God and doesn't go after it and I'll show you a non-Christian because he doesn't want to hear from God because that's boring. I already have the idea. I'm saved, so therefore, whatever. You know, uh, you know, we're delivered by the very virtue of what Christ has done on the cross. And I will tell you, it's no longer necessary to sin. That is what's telling us. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. That's a past tense. You're already free, folks, from the law of sin and death. You cannot have that anymore. You already died. You come to life. You're in Christ. It's not necessary to sin anymore. Although, even Paul said... Why am I doing the things that I shouldn't be doing? Even Him. We still sin. But it's not necessary. It was before. Why? Because that's what our nature was. We are freed from the necessity to sin. Does that make you shout hallelujah? John says, These things I write unto you, my little children, that you sin not. And we are freed from the bondage of sin. I write to you these things that you may not sin. I don't want you sinning. And you say, well, I don't want to sin either. Well, God put that in you. Before, you didn't care. You did what you wanted to do. But now you're a new person and the Holy Spirit who is, the, as we have Him working in us and the life of Christ, we are in. So therefore, we're free from the law of sin and death. Look in Romans 7, verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, unbelievers, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. Remember that? That's what the law does. It even makes you want to sin even more. But the law is good. The law is good, but it arouses us. Oh, yeah? 
okay, I've just learned about drugs. You know what? That must be something that's really being taken. I like to experiment with that a little bit, right? The sinful passion which were aroused by the law. I wonder what it's like. I'll just try a little bit. We're work. Uh, we're at work in the members of our body, the flesh. That's our enemy. What's the members of the body to bear fruit for death? That's what they do. The body's going to die. That's the death. That's what's going to happen. The body has to die. And that's how we'll get out of this. And that'll be total freedom. Spiritually, we've totally been free. We're free from that law of sin and death. But the battle goes on. Then the body dies. And hallelujah. We are present with the Lord. Never to sin again. It's something that has taken place. We're not to struggle struggle to try to get freedom. That's what a lot of people are doing and they feel like they're held in bondage to this one thing that they're tempted to always. And, you know, right theology leads to right practice. Be thinking on what we just saw. We died to this kind of stuff. What are we doing? It's not necessary to sin anymore. We are at rest in the freedom that's already been given to us. We have it. Rest. Rest in Christ. Jesus said that. Rest in me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. You tired of that battle that you're in? Rest in Christ. Rest. Okay, free from the law of sin and death. I think we get that idea, right? We've been freed. What sets me free from the law, right? We've entirely been set free from the old relationship to the law. We have a new relationship. We have a new way of thinking. We have a new life. 6.14 For sin shall not be master over you because it's not our master. Satan is not our master anymore. For you are not under law but under grace. Doesn't that set you free? Oh, this Romans 8, folks. It's so valuable. When you go home today or tonight, when you got a time uh, to just read some word here, uh, settle down and read these verses here. If you want to, go ahead and read the full chapter. You want to get rejoicing? Boy, there it is. This is how it works. Okay, verses 3 and 4. Folks, this is the Trinity at work here. This is the triune God that is working in. How can we fail if we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working in us and you say, I feel like such a failure. I did it again. I've done it before and I've done it and I've done it and I'm afraid I'm going to do it again. Well, what's happening is that you are trying to defeat this sin. You must look at who is working in you so that you can work it out. What does it say here? For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, it can't save. It condemns. God did. Look at this. That's God the Father. God did it. Sending His own Son. Now we have two persons of the Trinity in the likeness of sinful flesh, as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Oh. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Do you see in those two verses? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, anytime you see one of the members of the Trinity, look for a few more verses before or after. You'll almost always see the Trinity, especially as you look through the New Testament. Paul's writing, he links them together so often. 
Each one of them is unique. They have their work to do, but yes, they're absolutely one. Absolutely God. And uh, this doctrine of the Trinity is to be held in high esteem. Uh, what the law couldn't do, it could not... It, it gave a demand to do this right, and it means it. And if only we could do that, we'd be okay. No man was ever able to do it. First of all, he starts with the nature of Adam and he can't do it. That's what Romans uh, verse 7 is going to finally say, verse 8. But you know what? The righteousness is not fulfilled in our work. It's fulfilled in the work of Christ. The law couldn't do. Uh, Look at Galatians 3.21. Galatians all about grace and law and works. Galatians 3.21 Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given which was able to impart life, if the law could have imparted life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. Where can I get my righteousness then? But the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Wow. I thought he explained the law very good there. What did God the Father do? Well, we know that the answer to being not condemned, as we've said in verse 1, it lies outside of us. The, the answer to that being justified is outside of us. And it says here that God sent His Son. We are totally dependent upon the work of the Son. And this is the incarnation because... It says here uh, in, in our Romans 8, God did sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was put into a body like us. Like sinful flesh. Every one of us has a body of sinful flesh, don't we? But He was put into a body like Ours, like sinful bodies, but it wasn't a sinful body. He could not sin. He did not sin. He was perfect in His life. That's active obedience, as the Reformers always say. And then there's passive obedience in His death. So He saves us by His life and His death, the righteousness of Christ, and then also... Uh, he is reckoned as a sinner. Although he is not a sinner, he takes all of our sin. See, we're right in the heart of the gospel here again, aren't we? He never sinned, but he is reckoned as a sinner in the likeness of sinful flesh. Uh, condemned to sin in sinful man. Look at Isaiah 53, 4-8. Oh, what a text there, Isaiah 53. It's all about Christ crucified in detail we get. In Isaiah 53, Seven hundred years before Christ lived, surely our griefs He Himself bore, or verse 4, and our sorrows He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. That's what Christ was. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. But the Lord, Yahweh, has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. And then He was oppressed. He was afflicted. This is Christ, isn't it? Oppression and judgment and such... See, it all came on Him. He actually condemned sin in the flesh. 
And He was cut off the land of the living. But it says in verse 10, but the Lord was pleased, the Father was pleased to crush Him, putting Him to grief, and He would render Himself as a guilt offering. And then He would see His offspring. He would resurrect. Okay. He condemned in sinful flesh. He was reckoned as a sinner, although He was not, but it was because He took our place. It's substitutionary atonement. Key words, He was in our place. He was substituted, and that's what the sacrificial bull, lamb, goat was always for. It took the place of people. They didn't have to go in and offer up their children as sacrifices. They offered up lambs and rams, pointing to Christ who would eventually be a one who is in the flesh, who identified with us fully and took all of our sin. Everything was poured out on Him. And so there is what God the Father did, what God the Son did. And it says at the end of 3, He condemned sin of the flesh. This is God doing this. And that's where our sin was condemned, folks. Therefore, we no longer are condemned. Right? Back to our verse 1. Because there's where it was condemned in the flesh of Christ. Verse 4, so that the requirement of the law... What's the requirement of the law? Perfection. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Be ye perfect, for I am perfect. God says nobody can. How can I be perfect then? Only by this One. This One who was perfect in His life and in His death, He met the demands of the law like nobody else ever could. Requirement of the law is fulfilled. It's fulfilled in the man of the righteousness. He de- the demand was made. He met the demand of the law. He said, okay, I've got it. He did it. The law is satisfied. There was finally one who could do it. The atoning death. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Look at this. This is where it's at. The Spirit who's working in us, the Son, the Father, they knew that the law demands this or you have death, but that what Christ did, it's fulfilled now in us. Not because we did, but what Christ did. And we are in Him. This ought to send chills down your spine. I'm telling you that what He has done and is doing right now is He's fulfilling in every one of us who believe in Christ. He's fulfilling the demands of the law. By the way, He's already done that. The demands of the law. He did what He did so that everything would be fulfilled even in us. We're new people. We are new. We are new in Christ. We are in Christ. The law has been met. The man's have been met. Christ fulfilled what the law required by offering up the perfect obedience, by meeting the law's retribution for our sin by His death. And now we walk according to the Spirit. What? I don't feel like it. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. If you're a believer, you do not do that. You say, well, I do sometimes. No, you don't. You do not walk according to the flesh. Now, there are times that we look like the flesh, the old man, and we're obeying the commands that are the members of the body, but the real you, the new you, you're not walking according to the flesh. Don't be like the Gentiles then and do some of those things, right? You are walking according to the Spirit. Because of what Christ did. Christians who are forgiven, and what Christians are forgiven? All of them. We now live in a holy, obedient, 
gratitude for the grace that we have received. Not by following the law. I've been doing pretty good this week. I've done this and I've done that. And I quit doing what I said I was going to quit. And I'm feeling pretty good. i got victory. And then the next week, boom, you're right back into the ditch again and you hate it. We should be giving gratitude. Saying thanks because of the grace that we have received. If we've sinned, and we will, confess it, please. Repent. Say, Lord, You're the only one that I can depend upon for me to defeat this. I want victory. I really mean it. Uh, Does He answer that prayer? He does. Is it going to be difficult? No. Because He's working in you, but He also says that we are to work it out. He's working in us. So that's the ongoing sanctification. There's also the position that's already happened where the requirement of the law is fulfilled. Don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That is in the ongoing sense. There is the obedience that's concerned there. There is holiness. And this is how we end here real quickly. Holiness for the Christian... First of all, did you know what the goal of justification is? What is that all about? What's the whole goal for us? To be made holy. He's already doing that in us. He's already done that. It means that's sanctified, holy, set apart. So that holiness might appear in us, as John Stott says. So that it would show what's really in us. We want the fruit there, but ultimately we know that that will come to its culmination. But that's what justification's goal is, even right now. So that holiness would be the, like a fruit of holiness that will be showing more and more. Number two, fulfilling the law's just demands. That's the path. Every path has a direction. And you can say, well, I've really kind of stumbled and um, kind of gone down a different road I, I hate. Every path has a direction. Yeah, you might stumble, you might fall, you get back up and get back on the direction. Remember Pilgrim's Progress? There is one way. It's narrow. Stay on it all the way. Jesus talked about that narrow path, that narrow way. And... Here's why we will stay in that right direction. It's because of the character of God. That's why we are on the right road. There's only one way. Are you heading on a different road? Well, if you are, you never have been on the right road. You never were a Christian. The work of the Holy Spirit, only by the Spirit can we be holy. He's holy. We are holy. We are set apart. And that means in our present tense, now, we are to conform to the behavior that the truth is saying. And we'll desire to do it because it's not a, oh, I'll try, but it's because you love the Lord so much. You don't want to displease Him. And number four of that Holiness for the Christian is mandatory to follow Christ. Jesus said to follow me. He said, follow me. He's Christ. Follow Him. You see His character. You see His nature. You know what He's about. Just keep following Him. You say, yeah, but there's another Christian over here and you know, I've known him for a long time, or her, and uh, you know, I know, yeah, they do some things. I, I know I hang out with them. I do some of the same things they do. Uh, but it's okay, you know, because they should be a more, more mature Christian. They, they've been Christian longer, so therefore, and you know what they're doing? Uh, they're going out to bars. They're going to places where they shouldn't be. They're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, but as a Christian, I'm set free, and I know I'm okay. I'm not going to get in any kind of trouble on this. See, that's, that's actually bringing it to really where the rubber meets the road. Okay, do you know what you do with that? You say, no, I'm a Christian. I do not live that kind of life anymore. That is done. 
and I'm set free from it, and I don't care what you say, if that's what you want me to do, I'm out of here. That's what you do of beating your sin. If it even means cutting off the people that you like so much, if they're leading you into sin, or tempting you, or hanging around the things, not necessarily a person, the things that are... Get it away. Run from it. That's how we do it. Okay. I'm going to come back now. We, we, we had it so good, and this is my position. It was, this is great, Dennis. And then you start hitting where I'm at. Well, you know what? You say, well, Dennis, I think you're picking on me. Uh, what I just did is I picked on myself and I picked on every one of you. Some of those actions may not be those kind of things. They might be just thought. Kind of dwelling on it. Shame on you. You said, man, I'm getting tired of this now. I like what I heard before. Uh, well, let's end it back there. The entire Gospel declares a sinner not guilty. There is therefore now no condemnation. Grace. The grace that is Jesus is simply breathtaking.